This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. to look in my face and remember me because I'm your new best friend. And lady right there, Miss Hensley was my, look, no, right here, Miss Hensley, raise your hand. The librarian was my second grade teacher. She's the reason I'm a ferocious reader to this day. There's nothing I'm going to say right here that's going to change your mind about anything because either one, your Greg Abbott's pawn sitting down here to destroy the largest district in this city so we can turn it over to the privates and the charters like they did in New Orleans, or you think you really know what you're doing and that we don't, and that might be a little scarier. Why are you taking teachers and principals and whoever to Odessa? Why they not going to Dallas ISD? Isn't that where you came from with a stellar record? That is my former school board representative right there who I voted for to do a job, to hire the superintendent. Were you ever in the running? Did they ever call you up to come down here? Why weren't you ever an option? Where's your resume? Because I see the smugness in your face and I hear the facetious little answers. I'm not going to be certified. I'm not going to. Is it really about student outcomes and student approaches or is this about your ego? Now that I've lost my democratic ability, let me be clear with y'all. Y'all have lost your democratic ability to make decisions about your children's education. I can support teachers. Teachers don't do this job to get rich. They're not showing up to make a million dollars. And to stand over them in script lessons and, and treat them as if they're not professionals. Let me be clear, teaching is a profession. They go to school and get a degree. They also take a certification, something that you haven't done for your own career. My major question is, when are you leaving? My second question is when you ultimately fail us, because you will, I, I can guarantee it, how do we then get you up out of here? Because I will be leading the charge. Because I don't know these people who have been appointed to represent me and my children and my community. It's the reason you didn't get yourself out there and run an election and win. This is an attack on our city because we are Houston, Texas, a big blue dot in a very red state. We are being punished. If you want to get into this fight and you care about these kids, you care about these communities, go talk to Luke Kravitz. Because when you leave, it's going to be us picking up the pieces. Every time I hear that clip, it just sends chills down my spine. I got goosebumps on my arms. That was the voice of one Lauren Ashley Simmons. She's a community organizer, civic engagement specialist, and parent of students who attend schools in the Houston Independent School District. I heard a rumor that you were also a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Is that true or is that, was that? Very true. Ooh. Oh, ooh, ooh. All right, Soror. Yes, because if it's going to get done, a Delta's going to get it done. Okay, so we just had to get that out of the way. Okay, thank you. Hallelujah. All right, but Lord. All leaders aren't Deltas, but all Deltas are leaders. Are leaders. Come on now, sis. Come on now, sis. Talk to us about what that moment was for you. You were speaking truth to power directly in his face. In his face. And you did so in a way that I think really resonated with parents all across the country, with people who have been concerned about what's happening in our schools all across the country. What was happening in that moment and why were you so impassioned? You know what? The the funniest thing about it is I didn't even want to go to that meeting. So it was like another community meeting happened um, with some co- county things. Um, I think it was like a budget rollout for our county. And it was this meeting. And I almost didn't go because I was like, if I go to the meeting, that means I'm legitimizing this 
illegitimate takeover. I'm participating mm. in the process and I'm showing up and that gives it legitimacy. But I don't know, something was like, go to that meeting and just see it for yourself, hear it for yourself, yeah. see it for yourself. And so I went, I had no plans of making any comments, but I think what set me off was a couple of things. One, that there were people um, who were giving these really impassioned, you know, speeches and, and making comments and they were showing, you know, dad and they had grabs and the, his face was just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, thank you. Mm. Thank you for coming. It was just so condescending. Um, I think the other thing that frustrated me. So before the comment section opened, I was visibly kind of frustrated in the meeting. And I'm one of those people, unfortunately, I'm, I'm working on it. When you see my face, you just kind of know how I'm feeling. And so a district employee came and pulled me to the side because I was just kind of like, oh, this is some this is this is BS. He's, he's you know full of it and pulled me to the side and brought me outside of the meeting and was like, you know, you have to be willing to come to the table. Um, it's 50 50 and just was giving me like this whole like spill and mm. I kind of like I said oh some of y'all believe this like some of y'all wow. have been indoctrinated got yeah. it so now I really know what I'm dealing with it's kind of mm. like and I keep joking because I'm kind of a nerd and you know we the author of those books I, I don't mention but I do like to think about when Dolores Umbridge took over Hogwarts mm. and it was like this group of like resistors who knew it was wrong, but there were so many people that just kind of went along. And that's what we see throughout history. And in, in anytime somebody's doing something, they're not doing it alone. It's yeah. the people who are just passively saying, you know what, this might not be so bad or we can't do anything. So that conversation upset me. And then coming back in and hearing the people comment before me and they're, you know, teary eyed, some kind of, divine intervention I had no idea my second grade teacher was going to be there who was my daughter's librarian and she spoke before me and hearing her because I'm getting teary-eyed hearing her kind of choked up Mm. and just seeing his face if you would have saw his face you would have jumped up and said something because it's literally just how you know we say playing in your face it's somebody just kind of playing in your face and when I got up there I was like you know what I don't really have any beautifully prepared, eloquent remarks. I'm just going off the dome because I need you to understand what's on my heart. Because if I come up here with data and graphs about how standardized testing is, you know, it's racist and it's going to go in one ear out the other. But I want you to know that I see you for Mm. what you are and I hear you. Mm. And that these kids, this community, not just my two, but the the community, these kids don't go. To put it in some very like you know homegirl terms, like it, it, we we don't go. Our community's not going for it, and mm. I don't know what you did in Dallas ISD. I don't know what you're doing with third generations, but this is Houston, Texas. Yeah, and you yeah. know my name. Mm. And remember your name. He, I'm sure he has because what we know is that this has been a years long battle. Yeah, that's gonna be y'all gonna be best friends, best friends. Uh, but what we know is that after years of battle, the state's public education entity, the Texas Education Agency, took control of the school district from the board that had been elected by the parents and by the members of the community. The next month, Mike Miles, I, I guess this was the person, uh, one of the superintendents, uh, and he instituted a plan called the New Education 
education system. This is a reform initiative, and they're saying that they're coming in for low reading levels and standardized test scores. And and as you were saying, a number of folks in that room were talking about the fact that these test scores are not a proper evaluation, they're not a proper measure, and looking at what was happening, the good things that are happening in those schools. And where do things stand currently? What is the current status of this takeover for the Houston Independent School District? And so, again, um, I have my own biases and Mike Miles does come comes from a school of education reform thought that I'm just totally not in agreement with. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, in my opinion, align to years of research, years of just anecdotal observation about what education in a classroom looks like. And so I've always Mm -hmm. been very frustrated by people who have not taught. I've never taught, but by people who have not taught that have all of these great ideas because things can look one way in theory. You can read a little book about something, but it's very different in practice. And so what we're seeing with this NES system or what I call the old education system, because what he's doing is not anything new. Our schools have been through a similar plan before called Apollo 20 um, and pre-COVID time just all kind of runs together. So I can't remember if I was in school for Apollo 20 or if I had just moved back home um, when they implemented Apollo 20 and my brother went through those programs. But it was the same kind of targeting um, schools that are lower, that have lower test scores. Typically those schools are under-enrolled. So that means they're under-resourced. And of course, in that situation, you're going to find whatever you're looking for to justify whatever cause um, that you want to make to push your new program through. And so what this NES system is going to do and what we've just seen kind of as a national trend, it's really trying to, in my mind, it's trying to take like, I guess a, they're trying to measure something. They're trying to make an assessment. They're trying to use it as a diagnostic tool, which, okay, is fine for testing. Mm -hmm. But the issue is when you put high stakes and you put punitive measures around those test scores, you're not saying, I want to know what kids are doing. I want to see where they are. Or with testing, what we're really learning is is who's well-resourced, right? That's pretty much what a standardized test tells you is what kids, you know, have better income or have, you know, access to more resources. And so what this system is doing is it's not addressing any of those social issues that may impact the child's ability to go in and fill bubbles out on a test. What it's doing is it's penalizing teachers for what a child does one day out of the year on a test. Mm. It creates a self-fulfilling prophecy of crisis on the campus because if teachers are teaching to a test, then yet kids are not getting what they need. They're learning tips and tricks to beat a test, but they're not learning anything that's going to build off. So I feel like in my mind, learning is something that you build off of. You learn phonics in a certain way so that when you come across new words, new reading material, you can use what you learn to build on that. That's Mm -hmm. not what our kids are getting. What they're learning is basically what you would go if you wanted to like take the LSAT, like Princeton review, like Mm -hmm. tricks to kind of do better on a test. That hurts our kids down the line. It makes them not prepared for college. It makes them not even career ready because you're not utilizing critical thinking skills. And so what this system is going to do is either it's going to show that our kids are the best bubblers in the city Mm -hmm. or in the school district or in the state, or it'll show the truth that these kids maybe don't have the literacy skills that they need in the foundation. And what people are going to say is, see, look, that's what we knew. HISD is spelling kids versus saying, no, we live in a state that underfunds pretty much every school district. These schools rely on enrollment 
for funding, they also rely on schools, uh, test scores to ensure that they can keep their jobs and they receive their adequate amount of funding. So schools in my neighborhood that can't afford drama teachers and they can't afford all the extras because they have to hire another math specialist, they have to hire an extra reading tutor, are always going to show exactly what they want to see on those tests. And that's low scores and low reading levels. And so, again, it just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And what it does is it gives people the opportunity to come in and sell us a bunch of stuff that doesn't mm. work. Mm. And we're seeing this happening all across the country. We're seeing this happening all across the country. One of the things I think was so riveting about watching you in that moment was realizing that parents have power, right? We And you said you, you may not have ever taught, but that don't mean you don't understand what's happening. You don't know what time it is. And I think you you really articulated that really well because these tests, again, you're, you're correct. Many of our schools, they get increased funding, the better the test scores are. But if you're under-resourced due to lack of enrollment, often that lack of enrollment is also due to competition with charters. And so the money follows children out of these schools. Not to say that there's anything wrong necessarily with charters, but many of them which are run by hedge funds and organizations that have no educational training are seeing these as profit centers, not as education centers. Talk to us about what's happening with the parents. What are the conversations that you all are having? What do they sound like? Are parents organizing? What is ha- what is happening with the parental role? Because my, my perspective, just being as a parent and as an educator um, who teaches teachers how to engage in these issues and to engage in, in diverse school populations if the parents are a stakeholder the students are a stakeholder the teachers are a stakeholder if the parents have something to say typically when organized they are listened to in in powerful ways depending on who the parents are what's happening with the parent the the discussion that the parents are having in your particular district And so there's a lot there, right, because that's what's always been so frustrating, because in Texas, you know, we are always competing with like the Mom for Liberties group and the folks that want to get books banned. And I always say, oh, what a privilege it is to have so many resources, to have so many good things happening in your schools that you're finding problems, right? You're creating Mm. problems versus us over here is literally every few months somebody is coming in and telling us how much how how we failed our children, how much of failures our children are. And our district needs to buy this new shiny program so we can teach these black and brown kids how to read. Like that's Mm. the feeling. And so in that, there's a different sense of, and I've always felt like, and I'm just be real black folks. We have, we tend to have a different relationship with power and entitlement. Um, We, and it's just, so it's just through kind of like socialization. Sometimes I feel like we don't always feel entitled to say, Hey, what's happening to us is wrong. Mm. And this is not okay. And I think that's maybe why what I said resonated with people because it wasn't like, no, we're going to accept what you're saying. Because in the meeting, he had done like a presentation and was showing your kids were here last year and they did this. And I said, and nowhere did you mention what was happening in 2020, what we were dealing with in 2021. We were dealing with a a pandemic, um, a a mass disabling event, a hugely traumatic event. And so that let me know that this was a person who doesn't see himself as part of our community because I don't know how you could know all of that was happening and not have any sympathy and empathy to be able to take that data and view it through a human lens and say, okay, this is why these kids are where they are versus "Mm, these parents, y'all don't care about y'all's kids. And so saying Mm -hmm. all that to say, I think when we have to organize from a place of defense, it's a little it's a little bit harder sometimes because for one, we haven't done anything wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Like we should not be doing this. And I keep having to tell people, 
I don't mind ever having to like take up the mantle and like and pick up a fight, but this I would rather be doing something else. Yeah. I have been dreading the first day of school. I have not been thrilled. It was so hard to get through back to school shopping to the point where I'm still doing back to school shopping because it's just not, I'm not, I'm not happy. I'm not settled in my spirit and my community is not happy. Mm. We went to a birthday party Saturday before school started. And, you know, it was a couple of my daughter's friends there and, you know, that's the conversation. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to this district. We're going to this district and I'm sitting in a, in a birth, child's birthday party trying to organize parents and say, no, I get it. I understand why as a parent, you want to make the best decision for your child's education. And it's not fair for me to ask you to sacrifice that, but I got to let you know that this is exactly what they want us to do. Right. It's going to take a while for whatever this NES system, because we have to be clear too, this NES system is not going to just be for the lowest performing schools. This is what they want to see throughout the district. It'll take a little bit of time to get to the more affluent areas, but they're coming out there too. This is what they want. If once we lose faith in the district and we pull our kids and there's even fewer kids to get some of those lower income schools and those under-resourced schools over that testing hump and they Mm -hmm. close those buildings down, they shutter those schools. What happens to our community? Mm. Real estate agents literally sell homes based on how whether we agree with those uh school right. rating systems and test scores or not right it's business behind schools mm. communities are built around schools so when you close the school when you under resource the school so much so that parents feel like they have to bust their children across town you're not just shuttering a school you are killing a community mm. nobody's gonna come want to come live and build new homes where we are if the schools right. are in disrepair right. or there's more of an incentive to close our schools that we've had historically. Everybody in my family has gone to the high school that I graduated from pretty much, except for my dad, because he's not from Houston. Mm. Our school has been open since 1927. It was started by an, a former wow. enslaved person. My church is named after. I mean, when he was a pastor at the church that I grew up in, that's what I'm saying. Like these, these schools have history behind them. I'm from Third mm-hmm. Ward. I went to Jack Yates. I say that proudly. Our schools have history behind them. Debbie Allen, Felicia Richard graduated from Yates. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So when you say that, you can't just make this just a, a school district issue. This is a community issue. Yeah. And so yeah. I feel like I'm at a point where I'm ready for people to get upset. And I think to some degree we are. I've been working um, and I've been very just impressed with the work that is happening with the Houston um, Community Voices for Public Education, Houston CVPE, because a lot of us are just volunteer parents. You know, there are some Mm. staff, but it's a lot of folks that are just giving extra time, the little extra time that they have to come together and say we have to do something. Ruth Kravitz has done some amazing work organizing parents throughout the district for years and that's what I and that's another thing too because people are saying well why are y'all saying something now where were y'all before we've been out here mm. we're not new to this we're true to this it's new to you you're right. just now paying attention but we've been yelling from the rooftops about how critically underfunded our schools have been but we know that the issues that were happening within HISD are not isolated to HISD and that they start with the state because we have a governor who has been on tour like Taylor Swift for the better part of a year 
going from private school to private school, affluent community to affluent community, telling and urging those parents to say, hey, call your state reps so they can support vouchers. Ooh. He's pulling our legislators back into a third special session in October. This is special session three. This is taxpayer dollars, right? To force them to vote for vouchers. And what he has said, there will be no teacher raises unless oh vouchers God. are passed. Oh my God. So that the teachers unions are having to organize and have their members call and say, don't use us. Telling their mm. members to tell their representatives, don't fall for it because we won't get the raises anyway. We won't see it trickle down anyway. Right, right. And so this is where we are. We're having to organize teachers. We're having to organize parents and communities. We're having to bring in people and have sit-ins and read-ins and rallies when we could be literally enjoying our lives. But because we are Black and brown folks, some of us in lower income communities, some of us in under-enrolled poor schools have to play politics now. Yeah, We have to get out here and fight. My children, who as much as I'm out here, you know, yelling about things, I've always tried to kind of just shield them from some of the, just the ills of the world. Because unfortunately, y'all are little black children and y'all are going to go up to be black people. And whether you want to or not, your body, your life is politicized. Mm. And they're even at the point where they're now they're raging against the machine. My sweet son, who's a junior in high school, the shyest, he's six feet tall, just shy. You just call his name and he's like this. He was on the news. We were on MSNBC last night. Mm. And he said, because they asked him, how does this make you feel? And he said, I feel like they don't want kids to read. They don't want kids like us to read. And that's not something I've, I've coached him to say, but he's realizing at 16 years old, like, yeah, wow. Mm. What does this look like for the students? You're, you mentioned your son. Are, are the students organized? We've seen a number of students across the country engaging mm -hmm. in walkouts and, and, you know, in collaboration with the educators. Because, again, the teachers, the students, and the parents, three separate groups of stakeholders that all have a role to play in this moment. Are the students engaged in organizing efforts? Or because we have a history of seeing that. I'm, I'm thinking about what happened in Brooklyn um, in the end of the 1960s, early 1970s, where the teachers uh, were engaged with politics with the state in a way that was very anti-community the parents and the students walked out they didn't cut they took the parents took over that building took over a year uh, and it ultimately didn't even end the way they wanted it to end but uh, we have seen history of resistance particularly coming from young people how are the young folks feeling are they a part of these organizing conversations as well yes and i think what is so important is and because what gets lost in a lot of this, even sometimes with the media, and I've, I've been pleased with some of the outlets who are making a point to talk to our kids because people forget, and you've said it too, that kids are stakeholders in this. Yeah. If anything, they're the biggest stakeholder because they're the ones whose futures are impacted by this. We've already gotten our education. Mm. But this is what they're dealing with currently, right now. And you think about the kids, what they have been through, these children have been through Mass, they're going through mass shooter drills. Right. They've been through two years of COVID mm -hmm. and trying to navigate that system and trying to learn how to learn mm -hmm. while millions of people around you are sick and dying, right? And right. we have to just kind of pretend like that's normal. And then on top of that, you have the kids in Houston and HISD dealing with everything else they're dealing with that has all these compounding issues that have not ceased, that have not stopped. They're not taking a pause because our district is taking over. 
but it's in addition to that. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear people, and this is not, you know, the organizing piece, but when I hear people talking about how wild and rambunctious and crazy these kids are, I'm saying, yeah, I I was wild and rebellious at 16 with a, a, a fraction of that stuff going on. So I couldn't imagine what I would be right. doing right now. And so saying that to say, I have been really impressed with the way kids are speaking out and speaking up and organizing and wanting to come to the meetings with their parents. We've, we've had a number of, um, you know, different actions, public actions and, and rallies. And at every one of those events, we have children speaking. We've had children speaking at the school board, students. We had a um, a sweet little girl who's at a school, they're in jeopardy of losing their dual language program because the mm. superintendent doesn't value that either. Where mm. kids are going to school and they're learning English and Spanish and they're getting their curriculum and lessons in English and Spanish. Now, mind you, these are programs that we don't really have on our side of town. These are kind of in, in different areas. But to see a child be able to take the the board of managers, the unelected board, and Mike Miles to task in both English and Spanish was powerful. Mm. To hear a little girl um, from one of the elementary schools say, I, it makes us feel like we're bad because this is happening. This feels wow. like this is our fault. Because people hear us, and sometimes I think parents are easy to ignore because they feel like, you know, we're just wanting to gripe about something. And I think well, sometimes too, get overshadowed by the, the grass, the astroturf movements that are creating problems. But right. hearing kids really speak to their own issues and have that level of agency mm. and autonomy where they can say, I'm upset about this and this is unfair, speaks volumes. And I think that's why Mike Miles retaliated and kind of took some shots at us in that little play that they did at the teachers um like opening mm-hmm. orientation at the at the beginning of the year where it was just like a lot of little sarcastic digs which again lets me know that he's immature and again that he doesn't really want to be at the table with parents but um it lets me know that their words are getting to him even if he's a, he's ignoring us yeah how can people outside of Houston help? What can, This is a national audience, and I'm seeing just in some of the chats, I've got one person who says she's describing some of the same things happening in our district. We have to close schools through the declining enrollment. Our community gets gentrified, starved of the resources for the takeover. And we know that when the communities are gentrified, the schools are not, because they might live among us, but they don't put their kids in schools with us, because that, that's a big conversation. And what we've seen in our district is they will build a new school. So there's a school that my children attend in the neighborhood. There's and so there's like another like smaller magnet specific high school. That's a district school. It's not a charter. It's a district school, but it's like three minutes from my son's school. Mm. And it's because we're watching our neighborhood change. We're going through some gentrification, and I guess they said, you know, if the folks are gonna move over here, we gotta give them a school to go to. Mm. And I was like, it must be nice. I said, I don't know what that would be like to just be able to have the type of identity that just mo- that just moves mountains mm. that just makes people want to like erect buildings and, and 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 you know and fix your potholes and stuff i was like i gotta i gotta i don't know when i come back in the next life i gotta come back as, as somebody with some real privilege man because <laughs> it's gotta be different on that side it does indeed. Hopefully, if we come back as people with privilege, we'll weaponize that privilege to the benefit of people who don't have it. Listen, I, I'm trying to, you know what? That's why they won't give it to us. We're trying to liberate too many folks. Listen, <laughs> you you said it, and I agree with it. I concur. I, right now, my intention on these airwaves is to feature as many parent voices and to bring as many stories when it comes to our Education for Liberation segments um, in a way that's going to let people know, number one, you're not alone. Number two, this is a battle we are fighting all across the country. But number three, we can win. 
win, right? It's going to take time. It takes effort, but it's important to know that we can win when we are organized. And I too wish I did not have to do this. I would much rather go frolic. I would like to just, you know, go to chapter meetings and volunteer at places. I would like to just go hang out and do things. I would much rather me and my husband just go and have, you know, just live a good life, chillaxing. But that is not. Just I was just like, y'all, I am a hot girl. I want to be doing hot girl things. Thank y'all, you. Like, y'all saw me on that video. I was like, y'all, that was my summertime wig. Like, I, you know, <laughs> ready to go have me a cute little Aperol spritz or something. And then I'm having to come out here and, you know, it's just, but my birthday is on October 6th. I'm born the same day as Fannie Lou Hamer. So that's I was like, my you mother's know birthday. Okay. You know, well, you know what? Mama is, see, that's how I knew. That's how I knew yeah, we were here. We and, you know, and let me say, because I don't think I said thank you yet. Thank you for this opportunity um, mm. and for you sharing your massive platform. It When I got the message to appear, I was like, this has to be a scam. Like somebody's about to say, can you give me your bank account so you can go on her show? Because I was like, she don't <laughs> know nothing about me in Houston, Texas. But so, you know, I really appreciate it. But um, yeah, there I want people to know, like you said, that they are not alone, that this is not happening in a vacuum because that's what we think. Yeah. And to be clear, everything that's happening is meant to exhaust you. It's meant for you to say, that's right. you know what, it's too much to throw up your hands and say it's inevitable. It's happened. And mm-hmm. I want to remind people that it hasn't happened yet. It's happening. Right. So that means right. we still have a chance. We still that's can right. fight and push that's back. Right. I'm reminded of the words of Toni Morrison, where she says that the function, the very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being. Somebody says you have no knowledge or language and you have to spend 20 years proving that you do. And and so and she goes on to, to finish the quote. And, and I think this is really an effort to distract, to drain and to keep us so busy fighting that we can't do the building. But what they don't know about us is that we're masters of both. We can both resist and build at the same time. Um. At the same time, at the same time. Lauren, Ashley, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And you have an open seat at this space. I would love to hear from more of the parents in Houston. Uh, We've had folks from the Round Rock Black Parents Association on, folks out in South Carolina who are organizing. We want to make sure we center parent voices. And we know that the Moms for Liberty are a well-funded AstroTurf group, which means we have to do the work of using our media to ensure our voices are getting out as well. Uh, How can people follow you? I know you're not necessarily a public figure. You have become one because of the situation um is there a place for people to follow you and connect with you or the other organizing work that that's happening in houston for sure for sure um i'm i'm trying to embrace more than like five people knowing who i am in the world it's a it's a little it's a little weird and i've I've had some awkward moments where people were like trying to take a picture with me but i thought they wanted me to take the picture of them and so i'm just like standing there and so I'm I'm learning because I'm very like I'm neurodivergent, so you know we're just a little socially different anyway. But um, mm-hmm. I want people to first follow Houston at Houston CVPE on Instagram on Twitter. CVPE. Um, you can go, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Houston CVPE. Okay. And HoustonCVPE.org is the website. I'm asking everyone to go on the website. We have a petition. If you're in mm-hmm. Houston please sign that petition because we want to hear your voice. We want to connect with you. We want to follow up with you. We are organizing across Houston. Um, If you're in Texas, 
because this isn't just isolated to Houston ISD. I want to say that Austin ISD, if they haven't been taken over, there's been some talks about TEA coming into Austin. We have to get together, y'all. We have to fight together. We have to organize and be on the same page. Mm-hmm. You can follow me. Um, I think I have, yeah, what, what do I have? I have Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, and I'm Lauren Ashley HTX on all of those platforms. Um <laughs> What does CBPE stand for? I typed it in, but it's not coming up for me. And I, I think I might be using the wrong letters. Community Voices in Public Education. Oh, CVPE. Okay. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, you know, this is my, my little Southern draw, but yeah, it's That's all right. CVPE. Okay. C <laughs> uh, like Community, community Voices like in Public voices. Education. An okay. amazing organization that's been around for a while that has really been in and, and, and a lot of the work that they've been doing in the past was around the star testing and the standardized testing and urging parents to opt out of those tests and not give the state that data to make mm. the poor decision that they're making about our children. And so um, we are strong we are small but we are mighty and we are growing and what we're trying to remind folks is that this is a marathon not a sprint mm, that's right we're only day three into the school year we need y'all to be able to help us sustain this movement for a while because it's gonna be it's 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 gonna take a it's gonna take some work to get Mike miles to leave and yeah. even if he does leave it's who they're replacing him with and so we have to fight really hard to make sure that we get our district back from TEA so that it's not so broken that it's beyond repair because what we've seen in the past with smaller districts is that TEA comes in and those districts are worse off and there's a, an example of um, a school district called North Forest ISD it was on the north side of Houston to where once TEA left HISD ended up having to swallow up that district Wow, and wow. Mm-hmm. I want to say, if I'm not mistaken, was penalized for those schools failing. Mm-hmm. They were Even included. Though... And, so, and that's what I'm saying. So there's a lot Man. of little political, you yeah. know, things yeah. that happen. I tell people, you can create a law to, to support anything you want to do. Slavery was legal at one point. That's so, right. yeah, the state had a law on the books that made that takeover possible. But let's dig a little deeper and see why. You know, so thank you again so much for this opportunity to share all of my my ratchet ramblings and 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 you know <laughs> a little bit of like a little bit of wild conspiracy stuff. But ultimately, what I want people to know is that it's just about the dollar. It's about money. Yeah. It's not any like you know. It's it's not a real hard thing to understand when you can follow the money and understand that in public education is one of the last public goods, one of the last public resources. We've seen, you know, people have lost pensions. We are, they're trying to shutter the post mm. office. Pretty much anything that's public funded that kind of works, we figure out or the uh, folks on the other side figure out how to mess it up, make it not work, and then we privatize it. And so public education is next. And that's ultimately the goal. There's a lot of different ways to, to benefit from that. There's a prison system bump, I'm sure, works when people that's are right. undereducated. There's a lot of ways that you can co- maintain political control when people are undereducated. And then like I said, again, it's a lot of what they think is a lot of money in public education and they want to get their hands on it. So mm. we got to fight back. And thank you again for this opportunity. Mm.